Well, welcome to life in the sunny lane. Absolutely gorgeous blue sky, green trees. Even the school looks pretty. I'm driving away having dropped my daughter off to school and I'm gingerly leaving the school uh, grounds. Yeah, it's Tuesday morning and this is Paula Manny on From Cork With Love. From Cork With Love, adventure, another adventure. I don't know what today is going to bring. It'll undoubtedly bring more from Ireland about the referendum that we're going to have on Friday. I have some weird feeling in my gut that the tide has swung towards the yes side in the last week. And there's absolutely no rhyme nor reason for me to have this feeling. There, there, there's no, I can't think of a single piece of evidence that I could give you to say that the mood of the country has swung. So, uh, and I can't even say, and my own, my own position hasn't changed. It's not like I've moved from being undecided to decided or decided to undecided. No, I just don't know why I have this feeling that the, the, the people who are against, campaigning against this uh, amendment to the Constitution, I have a feeling that they have run out of steam and that they are weaker than I expected them to be. I thought they'd be coming on really strong in the last few days. I mean, people have had long enough to plan for this referendum campaign, to plan how they're going to distribute their energy and what points they're going to make in week three, where they're going to canvas, who they're going to speak to in, in the last few days. The messages, the key messages that all of this has been it's been loads of time to do this. And yet, for some crazy, ridiculous reason, which I can't think of a single, what people would call an objective basis for this sensation. Well, we'll just have to see what happens, won't we? because they can't travel. So women with disabilities who can't travel because they're too sick or because of their disability. Uh, women who, because of their migrant status, can't travel. So of course, numbers may increase uh, for a certain period to allow for that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, Katie refers to uh, what is she refers to as being an extreme. I think the status quo is extreme. I think uh, that making couples uh, with very wanted pregnancies who've received a fatal fetal abnormality travel to Liverpool, um, you know, for care that they should be able to receive within the state. I think that's extreme. I think it's extreme um, when you consider a 14-year-old who's been raped and um, who can't access 
uh, abortion care here in Ireland. I think that's extreme. And I, I think, think Katie Doe's point was that those are the, the so-called hard cases, if people want to use that phrase. And her concern and, and those of others is that it's the proposal for abortion without restriction up to 12 weeks, which will take in a range of pregnancies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, up to 12 weeks is what we're looking at. And the reason why 12 weeks was referred to, in fact, by Billy Kelleher of Fianna Fáil in the Office Committee, uh, which was around the fact that victims of trauma, including rape and incest, uh, required more time to be able to make decisions around the pregnancies. Um, that is why there is a 12-week piece. That is why we're looking at uh, medical abortion pills, I think. People certainly in their mind, and certainly so did I, uh, growing up, I'm 26 years old, uh, I came out of secondary school in South County Longford, a very rural area, uh, would have considered myself absolutely uh, anti-abortion until I understood and learned the reality and um, the complex position that women find themselves, the complex um, co complexities of women's lives. Okay, l let me bring Katie Asko back in at this point. Katie, one consequence of the Eighth Amendment is if a woman is having a miscarriage, medics can't intervene to speed the process up because even though the, the fetus is dying, it still has a heartbeat. And the woman can get very, very sick to the point that her life becomes at risk. And that has been experienced by many women in this country. Isn't that unsafe for women? If, if we look at the 2013 Act, it's been very clear since that Act came in place that doctors have full freedom to treat women when their lives are at risk and that risk does not need to be immediate and many obstetricians have said that there are unnecessary fears being garnered by having such misinformation about the protection for women. But is the point not that a woman has to get very very sick before there's intervention in a miscarriage where the baby amendment, is dying? Again with the Eighth Amendment it's simply about acknowledging the right to life of both mother and baby and doctors do everything they can to treat both mother and baby and to treat the baby as far as is practicable so the woman's life does come first and just to pick up on some things Sheena was saying the rate of abortion in other countries is significantly higher than Ireland's in Spain they have a rate of abortion three to four times higher than our own in Switzerland it's twice the Irish okay. rate so abortion does abortion rates do increase in countries where they legalised in the UK when they legalised abortion in 1967 about 20,000 abortions okay. in that year and that has increased to today having 200,000 abortions every single year so it is a fact that abortion okay. rates increase Which when they legalise Irish women who have to travel abroad I mean okay. th those figures include all of those Irish women who have been forced to leave this country for healthcare and just in relation to that I mean at death's door shouldn't be the bar uh, that we hold our healthcare system to and, and what we consider to be a success when it comes to healthcare for women in Ireland. That, that, that cannot be where we're at in, in relation to the 2013 law. I mean, it is on the basis of suicide uh, and, and that serious incredible risk. I mean, what we're looking post 12 weeks in the proposed legislation is around risk to health and mental health of the mother and also on the basis of a fatal fetal abnormality. These are incredibly difficult cases post 12 weeks and we need to be legislating for them. Women's lives are far too complex to be able to look at them in a two-liner in the Constitution. It is, a, it is a, absolutely a blunt instrument. When you're looking at the expert evidence, you know, when you're looking at, at, at dealing with rape or fatal fetal abnormalities, two attorneys general last week and the Supreme Court Justice Catherine McKenna said that there is no other way to deal with these hard cases. Okay. There is no other Sheena, way other than removing the Eighth Amendment on Friday, Friday by voting. Okay. Can we accept though that when you say these are very difficult circumstances, 
that abortion is being legislated for, and what we're talking about here is mental health grounds on vague and undefined terms. It is an almost vague. It is an almost okay, but let's look at England. Hold on, hold on. Let's look at England where they have a very similar law where it's risk to the mental health of the woman. There's nothing. We're not talking about We're talking about Hold on, let's just look at what happens in Ireland in the state. Which Sheena, if we look at the abortion we can't hear it. So in England they have abortion on vague, undefined mental health grounds, even BPAS, England's largest abortion provider, okay. has said that most of those women do not actually have a mental health issue. Right. And just Okay, we're, we're coming to the end, the last word to you. But really, what we're talking about is care. We are talking about compassion. We're looking at a state that is currently turning its back on women in Ireland. This cannot continue. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity uh, to make our healthcare system safer and more compassionate. Uh, and the young people of Ireland, uh, who I represent, um, are absolutely in favour of removing the Eighth Amendment. We are not going to wait another 35 years to look after those people there and those families Thank and those women. very much indeed. Sheena Cavill, supporter of the Together for Yes campaign, Katie Asko of the Love Both campaign. It's half past eight on Morning Ireland. Brian is here with a summary of the news. Thank you, Audrey. Gardaí are awaiting the results of a post-mortem examination to be conducted today to determine the cause of death of a young woman whose body was found in South County Dublin. Detectives believe the body is that of 24-year-old Justine Valdez, who was abducted near her home in Enniscary on Saturday. A note found in the car where the suspected killer, Mark Hennessy, was shot dead, is to be forensically analysed. On this programme, Raymond Garrett from the Filipino community group Outreach Ireland said Justine had followed her family here from the Philippines. A friend of mine is, is quite close with the family, particularly Justine's father. The, the family came here to, to make a better life for themselves. Justine followed over when her parents became Irish citizens to, to further her education. The opportunities available in Ireland were, were considered, so Justine came over to better herself, better her life. And, and be with her family. Four of Stormont's political parties, Sinn Féin, the SDLP, Alliance and the Green Party, have repeated that Northern Ireland should stay in the EU's single market and customs union. In a statement, they say that there should be no hard border on the island of Ireland or between the two islands. The Cabinet will this morning consider new proposals to lower the legal alcohol limits for train and tram drivers. The Transport Minister Shane Ross will bring to government a general outline of the Railway Safety Amendment Bill. A National Minutes silence will be held across the UK this afternoon to remember those who died in the Manchester Arena suicide bombing one year ago. Families and friends will attend a special service of remembrance at Manchester Cathedral. Now the weather forecast, dry today with sunny spells developing after a misty start in some parts. Highest temperatures 14 to 19 degrees, coolest in northern counties and along parts of the east coast, and highest in the southeast. God, he sounded as if he's got a bit of a croaky voice, didn't he? This throughout my body. My lung had collapsed when they put me on the life support machine. I had pneumonia, I had jaundice, I was having the vision loss in my eye, and basically my eye was dying. Okay, but at this point, it's both you and the baby that are at equal risk that having had an abortion wouldn't have saved your life. So it didn't, you know, there wasn't a choice to be made between you or your son at this point, was there? Well, in, from my point of view, from my personal point of view, there was no option. I wanted the child to be saved, regardless of even if it meant losing my own life. 
it didn't matter to me. And had you communicated that? Absolutely. I had made that clear that regardless of what happened to me, if there was a chance of saving my baby to do that, I didn't, if it meant me losing my life, that wasn't a second thought for me. My life was, I, I was treated primarily, though it was me that was... Okay, you know, and had you weighed this up when you said it, or was this a spur of the moment, save him, not me kind of thing? It, it's like, to me, being, being a parent, it, it's a natural instinct. I mean, even in wild animals, you know, it's a natural instinct to want to, want to protect the child. Um, that's, that's my opinion. So for me, it wasn't a second thought. It didn't matter to me if I... You know, it's the child, my baby, that needed to survive. It must have presented quite a conundrum to the um, doctors, though, because they, they can, can they follow that kind of an instruction? Can they say, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll save your child, not well, you? Well, it was a doctor. Like, basically what happened then, because it, it was kind of in the balance, and at that time, the doctors, you know, I was so sick that they hadn't actually seen somebody identical to myself at that time. Um, and they... I mean, they did put my treatment first, regardless of, I mean, I did, I did put the request in place there. How, obviously how far that I pregnant didn't want. were you, Abigail? I mean, would your son um, have survived outside the womb? Yeah, I would have been, let me just have a look, October, November, December, January. Um, I think I was probably about three months at this stage, or four months maybe, at this stage. So had you reached 24 oh, weeks? Not yet, no. Okay. So it, it was kind no, of... I, I don't think I was quite 24 weeks. I think it was just less than that, as far as I remember now. 24 weeks being the point at which you have a, a stronger or better chance of uh, yeah. life outside the room. But, sorry, it was kind of moot point before that, wasn't it? But yet, yes, your so choice was, save my son, not me. Absolutely. Well, obviously, if I could be safe too, of course, that would be great. You know, because I would want to see my son bring him to the park. I want to have, see, you know, take part in his life. But at the end of the day, when it came to the crunch, if only one of us could be saved, it was my choice was, you know, it would have been him. Okay, but, so um, two blood transfusions, several days uh, unconscious or in a medical coma. Yeah. Uh, and you were finally released from hospital, though, weren't you? After about five weeks of intensive care, of intensive treatment, I was in intensive care for about a week. I was put on a life support machine twice. The first time they took it off, I wasn't able to cope. So they put me back on a second time. Um, I actually ended up having my gallbladder removed, so major abdominal surgery during my pregnancy also. So when they finally found out the medication that worked for me, which was starting to um, uh, cure the sepsis, um, because it was affecting each organ. So what happened at that point then was when I was starting to get slowly better, they actually realized that there could be a risk that there could be sep some sepsis in my gallbladder, so I would need surgery. So I had to have major abdominal surgery. Um, roughly at this stage... Were they urging you to have an abortion at any stage? Um, I would, no, it was never something that would have been kind of like, you know, forced on me or kind of brought up abruptly like that at all. It, it was left to myself. You know, I mean, if I had had an abortion, um, even early on, as soon as I had gotten sick, we'll say, initially, when I initially was severely nauseated and severely unwell, had I had an abortion at that stage, I mean, I could have been fine, um, but it wasn't something that I was willing to do. Okay, but you weren't being placed under pressure. I mean, the doctors weren't saying... No, okay, no, it, it, I, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't placed under pressure to, 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 end, uh, to end up uh, my pregnancy at all. I wasn't, to be honest. Um, what happened then was... Um, so, then I actually had to have my gallbladder removed, as I mentioned there. So, I had to have major abdominal surgery, not just the keyhole, because I was pregnant. At this stage, I was starting to get a bump. As the time had gone on, it was probably about five months at this stage. So, I had to have um, major abdominal surgery. That actually sent me into labour early then. So prior to the surgery, they had actually, I was getting close to 24 weeks now, so they gave an injection to stood out my son's lungs quicker. 
so that in case he was delivered early due to the fact that this abdominal surgery could trigger you know early delivery and um, so it was given that um, injection to develop his lungs early we only have about um, a minute or so left in yeah. the program suffice it to say that ultimately after one hell of a bloody journey all's well mm -hmm. that ends well you and son both survived unscarred or physically yes. unscarred anyway could I just say one thing, if you don't mind? The one thing I would like to say, if anybody who's listening is voting yes, please, please, please be fully informed. Please, if you haven't already seen the photographs or watched an abortion video, please, please okay, watch it. Okay, but let me ask, there, there is enough time to ask one more question yeah. of, of your situation. You yeah. got to exercise a choice, didn't you? Yes. And... Well, it, it, I did, yes, yes, I know where you're coming from, yes. Not, as, as, as far as not, not ending my son's yeah. life, it's, it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. So is that not something that you would allow to extend or offer to everybody else? You see, the thing is, people are, I mean, the SI in particular, no, I am going to be voting no, but the SI in particular tend to focus on the hard cases. And speaking from somebody who is a hard case, who is the person that the mother's life was at risk, you know, and even the, C, the lady from the C case recently, she said she's another hard case as well. She, you know, the, she said to her abortion was worse than herself. She regrets that. But speak about but like, your case, you know. Yeah. So I just... Honestly, the way that I feel is because I'm well aware and educated in the development of children, it's not just my body. Like, that wasn't just me. My son had his own body. He had his own arms, legs, head. You know, he had everything. And I first saw him on his first early ultrasound. I could see he was an entire person. Okay. So I'm for afraid, me, I, I'm it, afraid, Abigail, I'm sorry yeah. I completely ran out of time. We should, we should have gotten to this point quicker, no quicker, quicker and earlier, but I have to Thanks take another break. And let Ray Darcy on. But thank you very much for your call. Thanks, Amelia. No problem at all. Bye-bye. This is the end of Tuesday and I haven't listened to any of the debates that have been going on this evening. I believe there probably was one that was about an hour and a half long on, excuse me, on what we call TG Carr um, TV show. Okay, so I will say uh, good night on this topic until tomorrow. This is from Cork. With the love, adventure with Paul Omani. <laughs>